to be here. Maybe you've given up watching Big Brother or Lego Masters or MasterChef. Uh, maybe you have sacrificed, you know, the last-minute study for that exam tomorrow. But let's be honest, it's not really last-minute just yet, is it? Uh, what sacrifices have you made to study here in Wagga? Um, maybe you've, uh, you've left friends and family uh, back home and you've kind of moved to Wagga, this backwater place. Maybe you have financially given up work to study full-time. Perhaps you've sacrificed your reputation by getting a degree from CSU. <laughs> Maybe your parents though, have sacrificed quite a bit for you to be here, to, um, to make study possible for you. Um, but I wonder how else do we hear about sacrifice today? Uh, sometimes we hear in regards to athletes that they have sacrificed it all to become a professional athlete. Um, I don't know whether it just really means they've given up on their social life and, and particular diets. Uh, parents sacrifice their careers to raise children. Or maybe this, maybe, uh, maybe this is the kind of sacrifice that you've experienced. Um, you know, when your phone is running low on storage and so you kind of delete photos of your family and friends so you can save your memes. <laughs> is that a noteworthy sacrifice for you? Um, now, of course, there is the, the genuine sacrifice uh, that we know about in, in military service, uh, remembered last week on Anzac Day. Uh, but I reckon the Israelites back in the time of Leviticus, uh, three and a half thousand years ago, would have laughed at the casual way we talk about sacrifice today. Back in their day, sacrifice meant Dad taking away the stud ram and the prized bull to be slaughtered. It was costly, it was bloody, it was time-consuming, it was regular and continuous, uh, but it was also absolutely necessary. <coughs> and so tonight we're going to get our hands dirty in the ancient Israelite sacrificial system. We're going to look at seven chapters of Leviticus, and it's consumed with details about how and when to offer sacrifices to God. And as Mark um, has been helping us to see, these laws are actually good for us might be wondering how on earth are they good to me. Uh, you might feel a bit queasy and uncomfortable with the killing of animals. You might feel bored or confused by all the legal details and the ranting. So I'm going to pray for us now that we would see God's goodness to us through Leviticus. So let us pray. Father, we ask tonight that you would help us as we travel back to a very different time and world. Help us to hear your words to us tonight. May we see and taste your goodness. Help us grasp the depth and breadth of your kindness and your love to us in Jesus. Amen. Well, let's get our bearings with Leviticus. Um, last week we looked at just the first verse of this whole book. And we saw how Leviticus fits into the bigger narrative of the Bible, of how a holy God can live with an unholy people. Uh, here's a little infographic that, um, that we saw last week, with kind of six steps. We've got creation in the beginning there, about God living with his people. Uh, the second one, uh, um, the world, humanity are separated from God as sin entered the world. And then 
Number three is where we find ourselves with Leviticus. Uh, the tabernacle, the temple there uh, is where God has come to live among his people, but, but at a distance, he's in the tabernacle. And, uh, and that's where Leviticus is based. Uh, but we also saw how it fits into the, the continuing story of, of Jesus coming to earth, the incarnation of God coming to dwell in the person of Jesus. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, well, God sends his spirit into um, the, his people. And, uh, and they become the church. And it's in the church and the people of God where God comes to live among us and make our home uh, there. And then finally, uh, number six there, the new creation is where we'll see Jesus face to face. We will live in God's presence forever in paradise. And the reason why we needed to keep going to four is because step three didn't work. And it could never work. And uh, we'll find out a little bit more about that uh, later tonight. So as we turn now to look at the sacrifices of chapters 1 to 7, here's the main point. Here's the main point of the sacrifices, why they are so important. They are needed in order to approach God and to live with God. The sacrifices are needed in order to approach God and to live with God, to have a peaceful coexistence with him with a God who cannot live among a sinful people. So the main point is, living with God demands sacrifice. Uh, here's our series outline for Leviticus, the structure of Leviticus here. Um, so it's all about approaching the holy God in the first half up until chapter 16. And then the second half is all about living with the holy God. And uh, chapter 16 is really the, the climax of this letter of this book, and uh, it's all about atonement, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in a few weeks' time, and a, a little bit more tonight. Now, all of these sacrifices and offerings that are, are done uh, in these chapters are all done in the newly built tabernacle, like it's a big, fancy tent. Here's a picture uh, that we had last week as well, and uh, as I um, take us through some of these sacrifices, there are a few pieces of uh, items to to take note of. Uh, so in the, the courtyard area here, you've got this big altar, the, the altar of burnt offering. Okay, that's the main thing we need to think about. And then inside the actual tabernacle itself up here, uh, there's two rooms. There's the most holy place right at the back. Um, we don't get to that. We get to that in chapter 16. Uh, but in these chapters, uh, sometimes the priest goes into the first room there, the holy place, and in there there's another altar, um, an altar of incense. There's the, the candelabra, um, or the, the lampstick they call it, uh, and also um, there's a table for, for the bread um, to offer to God. Uh, so, so the book of Leviticus, it, it launches straight into seven chapters of laws. And they tell us about five different offerings to God. And each of those different offerings, it tells us who's supposed to give the offering, when they're to do it, how it should be done, what does it accomplish. And as we read through these chapters, I don't know whether you experienced this as, as we read through chapter one and chapter two before, um, it's really quite confusing. It seems quite repetitive as well. So I'm gonna walk us through each of these five offerings. And then I'm going to talk about the procedure of how it happens. So I'm going to give you a handout, and I might get a couple of people to 
help out with this. I've done up a table and uh, I'll kind of walk you through the table as we go through the passage. So uh, I'll get a few people to hand those around for us. Thank you. Now, um, the sacrifices in chapters 1 to 7, if you read through that whole block, you would see that each of the sacrifices are repeated twice. They're repeated twice. And they're repeated in a different order as well. And uh, if, you've got different, if you've got questions about why that is, uh, you can ask me in question time afterwards. Now, uh, let me take you through the table. I'm going to go to the, the next slide, Tom. All right, we'll, we'll walk first. Okay, so in the first column here are the five different sacrifices that are spoken of in chapters 1 to 7. The first one is the burnt offering. Um, it's also called uh, the ascension offering. And uh, the second one is the grain offering. The third one is the fellowship offering. Fourth is the sin offering. And the fifth is the guilt offering. Now, I've colourised those things for a reason. Um, because the green parts of it symbolise um, that it's a pleasing aroma to God. And the red will symbolise this is where atonement is being made. This is where forgiveness is done. I'll take you through the table and we'll, we'll see that in a little bit. But the first one, the burnt one, kind of has a bit of both. It's pleasing to God and it brings atonement as well. So uh, let's go to the next slide and I'll take you across through this first one. Okay, so this burnt offering, it, it should actually be called an ascension offering because uh, that's what the Hebrew word behind it says. And uh, it helps us to understand a little bit more about why this, um, this offering is called that because it ascends up to God. As people kind of approach God, um, they burn this offering and it ascends up to God in the heavens. Uh, now, with this burnt offering, uh, depending on wealth, will uh, will determine what people bring, whether it's a, a bull or a, or a goat, whether it's from the herd or the flock, uh, whether it's a bird. Uh, let me read to you from chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Leviticus, Leviticus 1, 3 to 9. And then we'll fill out a bit more of this table. So verse 3, if his offering is a burnt offering or ascension offering from the herd, he is to bring an unblemished male. He will bring it to the entrance to the tent of meeting so that he may be accepted by the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering so it can be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the bull before the Lord. Aaron's sons, the priests, are to present the blood and splatter it on all sides of the altar that is at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then he's to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest will prepare a fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. Aaron's sons the priests are to arrange the pieces, the head, the fat on top of the burning wood on the altar. The offerer is to wash its entrails and legs with water then the priest will burn all of it on the altar as an ascension offering, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Okay, so let me tell you a bit more about this offering. Uh, 
So they bring the animal in and it's actually a voluntary offering. This one, you get it from a bunch of other different places in the Bible. Uh, and so it's not a, a necessary one, voluntary. And uh, this offering is offered at the start and the end of each day. So the priests need to do this. It's kind of the, um, the big bang at the start and the big bang at the end um, to, to start and finish the day. Uh, it's done as well on Sabbaths, on new moons, yearly feasts, after discharges. And this one, the, the who here is um, who gets part of the offering. And this one, it all goes to God, except for the hide, except for the skin. Um, the priests get to keep that for themselves. Uh, but this is a big one. The whole animal is given to God on the altar. Uh, why, why is this offering here? Well, it's, it's an expensive offering um, because it's how you approach God. And it's supposed to demonstrate full obedience to God. Uh, it's, a, it's also offered just as a, because of humans' general sinfulness. They had to bring this to God because there is, um, uh, because they need it in order to approach God. And the result is it's a pleasing aroma and it turns aside God's anger. It makes atonement for the offerer, for the worshipper. Uh, and so it then restores their relationship. So that's the first one. The second one, the, the grain or the, the tribute is probably a bit more accurate. Go to the next slide. Um, and so uh, this one is a tribute that you bring to a king. And uh, let me read to you from chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. When anyone presents a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, it is to consist of fine flour, is to pour olive oil on it, put frankincense on it, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. So these, are, these are great gifts to be given to a king. Uh, the priest will take a handful of the fine flour and oil from it, along with all of its frankincense, and will burn this memorial portion of it on the altar. A food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering will belong to the priests, to Aaron and his sons. It is the holiest part of the food offering to the Lord. So again, this one is um, a voluntary offering, uh, but it also accompanies others. So when they give a burnt offering, they'll also throw in some grain offering um, as well, uh, also with a sin offering. Um, so it, it kind of goes and joins in with the others. Uh, who gets bits here? Well, God gets a portion and the priests get a portion of it. And why? Uh, it's, it's a thankfulness offering because of God providing for them and giving them um, blessings and on the produce of the land. And it ends by saying it is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And so you can see at the end of each paragraph there in chapter 2, it keeps on saying how, uh, um, how it is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Uh, next is uh, the third one, the fellowship offering. Um, or food or, or peace. So this is the one that brings... Um, uh, uh, it's about the relationship with, with God and his people. There are a few different types. Uh, there's a thanksgiving, there's a vow, free will, there's a way or presentation. Um, chapter 7 kind of goes into a bit more detail about that. Again, it's voluntary, um, but this one is, is done kind of the last of all five offerings. And the reason for that 
um, is because of what it symbolises. It symbolises peace and friendship. So once all the offerings have been made, uh, this one is done. And you can notice who gets parts of this offering. God gets some, the priest gets some, and the worshipper gets some. And, uh, and that means that the worshipper gets to take it home and have it with their family as a symbol of friendship and peace with God. And so as that is burnt on the altar, it is also a pleasing aroma to God. So these first three, they're all categorised because they're a pleasing aroma to God. Uh, next, the fourth one, well, this is where we start getting into the atonement one. And this is a, um, yeah, this can also be called a purification offering in some translations. And it's because it actually purifies the, the worshipper of their sin. It cleans them, um, it cleans what was defiled. Now this varies, uh, the, the offering varies depending on who it is that sinned. If it's the priest or the community who sinned, well, they have to take the blood of that offering right into the, the holy place and, and sprinkle it around inside there. But if it's just a commoner like you or I, um, then it just stays outside uh, the, the tent. Um, this one is for unintentional sins. If someone breaks one of God's laws unknowingly, uh, this is the, the offering that they give. And uh, um, if they touch something unclean, if they have a skin disease, um, this is what they do. Uh, let me read to you from chapter 4, verse 1 for this one. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, when someone sins unintentionally against any of the Lord's commands and does anything prohibited by them, well, if you're an anointed priest, verse 3, there's the rules. Um, if the whole community sins, from verse 14, that's what they've got to do. Verse 22, if a leader sins, verse 27, common people. So let's just pick it up there at verse 27. Now, if any of the common people sins unintentionally by violating one of the Lord's commands, does what is prohibited and incurs guilt, or if someone informs him about the sin he has committed, then he's to bring an unblemished female goat as his offering for the sin that he's committed. He's to lay his hand on his head of the sin offering, slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest is to take some of its blood with his finger, and apply it to the horns of the altar of burnt offering, is to pour out the rest of its blood at the base of the altar, is to remove all of its fat, just as the fat is removed from the fellowship sacrifice. The priest is to burn it on the altar as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement, and the sinner will be forgiven. So, um... That is the sin offering. And so note there how it talks about atonement and forgiveness. And so that is also a big and important sacrifice um, that they must make. And the final one, the fifth one, is uh, the guilt offering or restitution or reparation. Uh, and this one is, is where the worshipper, if they sin, they have to pay extra from what they did. Uh, so let me read to you from chapter 5, verse 14 and 16. Uh, 14 to 16. The Lord spoke to Moses, 
Chapter 5, verse 15, if someone offends by sinning unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holiest things, he must bring his penalty for guilt to the Lord, an unblemished ram from the flock, based on your assessment of its value in silver shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel as a guilt offering. He is to make restitution for his sin regarding any holy thing, adding a fifth of its value to it, and give it to the priest. Then the priest will make atonement on his behalf with the ram of the guilt offering, and he will be forgiven. And there's a few other situations where that happens uh, throughout the rest of chapter 5. So here, God gets some, the priest gets some, the worshipper gets none. And it's all about defrauding others. Uh, when they defraud God or defraud other people, they need to work out what that cost is, add 20% and sacrifice that in that way. Atonement is made. All right, how are we going? Let me sum up for you these five sacrifices, okay? Um, they all composed the basic sacrificial system of Israel, okay? When they went to do offerings, these are the ones that they did. They are commonly done in conjunction with each other, and they were done sometimes for an individual or sometimes on a corporate basis. Right, let me walk you through the steps then uh, of what this looks like. Okay, so I might go to the next one. So we've got six steps now, and, uh, and here I'm just going to be drawing from a whole bunch of different places all through these seven chapters. And so first up is, step one is the presentation. Okay, got a, a little uh, magnifying glass there because uh, what happens here is the worshipper brings their animal along to the priest and it needs to be an unblemished, like pure animal and the priest checks it over. Um, the priest goes around and kicks the tyres and looks under the bonnet um, to make sure that this animal is actually fit for sacrificing to God. Now, why have this step in the process? Well, as you can imagine, it's because, uh, you know, humans like to shortcut things, don't we? And if your animal, you know, is, uh, you know it's going to die in the next few days, but it's looking all right now, maybe we can just kind of slide it in and, uh, and be done with it. And uh, we can rip off God. But that's not going to happen because the priest is going to be there and the priest is going to make sure that it is a good, healthy animal. Um, now what this, uh, what this represents is, is that God examines the hearts of his worshippers. Just as the priest goes and looks over the, the animal, so too God looks over the worshipper and wants them to be honest and genuine in coming before God with this sacrifice. And so as the priest comes out and checks, it's a big warning that we can't hide from God. He's going to examine you and make sure that you are fit. But of course we know as humans that we are sinful and so that's where we need to keep going on with step two. Step two is about hand pressing. Okay, you might have heard the... Um, the phrase in there about putting your hand on the head of the animal. And now it's not just kind of, you know, giving a little pat on the head um, before you slit its throat. Uh, it's actually about pushing really hard down onto the head of the animal 
because it symbolises substitution. What happens to the animal is what should happen to the worshipper. And so they're to, to hand check it, they're to press down hard with their hand to symbolise substitution. And the third step is slaughter. And uh, the worshipper here takes a sharp knife and cuts the throat of the animal. Now, I was, I was you know, toying with the idea of bringing an animal, you know, maybe a sheep in here to... Uh, to demonstrate this, and um, but I didn't want to ruin the carpet. Uh, you know, lovely green carpet, isn't it? Uh, but the slaughter is, is step three. Okay, they take a sharp knife. The the, the worship does this. The priest isn't the one who does this. Um, if they bring a, a bird, well, the priest will twist its head off for that one. Uh, but but if it's an animal from the herd or from the flock. Um, the worshipper themselves needs to cut its throat. And why? Why? Why would this happen? Why do they need to do this? Well, it's to teach the lesson that sin deserves death. There can be no atonement for sin apart from death. And so when you put this in conjunction with the substitution as they put their hand on and and slit the throat, uh, it symbolises a complete self-surrender, a self-sacrifice, a death to yourself. Okay, because he's saying this animal here is representing me and I am going to take its life. Sin deserves death. There can be no atonement apart from death. So the fourth step then is talks a lot about blood. Uh, the priest catches the blood in a bucket. Anyone have any idea how much blood is in a sheep or a goat? Anyone have a guess? Four litres. Four litres? Oh, very close. So it was out of three litres? I was going to say four litres too much. Yeah, about three litres there is. What about for a cow? Four. Six. Six? And nine. More than nine? Twelve. No. Keep going. What did you say? 20. 20? More than 20? 70. Oh, Is there any? No, not 70. That's too much. I feel like an option here. 30, yes. All right. There is 30 litres of blood in a cow. Um, now, can you imagine the priest trying to catch all of that? It's crazy. Um, now, depending on the type of, of sacrifices I mentioned earlier, this blood would either be sprinkled on the outside of the... Um, the outside altar, like in the courtyard, and the blood kind of poured at the base. Just imagine the stench of the place. The vivid imagery of this all. Um, uh, but if it was a priest or, or a major community sin, they have to go and sprinkle this blood inside the holy place. Now, why, why blood? Why is blood important? Well, it's because blood is needed for sin to be forgiven. Blood is needed for atonement. Now, atonement is a big word, um, but it's a very important word to Leviticus and to the whole Bible because uh, it's, it's how we see that people can come and live with God. It's kind of a really key thing. And so we've got the next slide. I think if I've got it in the right order. Oh, oh here we go. Good. Atonement. Um, the word itself... Uh, is kind of explaining to us what it means. 
at one It means being at one with God. It means being reconciled to God and being in a right relationship with him. Uh, we're going to talk more about atonement when we get to chapter 16, but blood is needed for atonement. So next slide, we see Leviticus 17 tells us this, for the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have appointed it to you to make atonement on the altar for your lives, since it is the lifeblood that makes atonement. Okay, so we need blood to make atonement because life is in the blood. And so remember that it's the blood of the animal that is uh, substituted into you, it represents you, that it is your blood being poured out. So what is the meaning of, of this then? Well, it's, it's a gesture of obedience here. If, if blood represents your whole life, as all the blood is drained out of these animals, it's about offering your whole life up to God. Your whole life belongs to Him. And so your life is being smeared all over the things that are holy, all over the altar, sprinkled on the tent inside. Your life is in contact with God, is what it is saying. Your whole life is given up to God. All right, step number five. All right, we've got some fire coming here. And this is where the animal is butchered by the worshipper. Um, the priests don't do the butchering here. Every, every male has to learn how to butcher these animals. They cut it up into pieces and, uh, and it's thrown onto the fire. Or if it's a grain offering, the grain is thrown onto the fire. Um, then why, why is it burnt? Why is it burnt? Well, it's because it is to produce smoke. If you read through it, you, you see that the, the smoke is a really big thing and aroma is a really big uh, repeating theme that comes through these chapters. And what happens with smoke, as you know, you look over the horizon and farmers at the moment are burning off their, their paddocks. Um, if you see it early enough before it comes and, and chokes up your lungs and, and kind of suffocates you and ruins your, your clothes. If you look earlier than that, uh, you'll see that it is rising up into the sky, rising up into the heavens, rising and ascending to God's heavenly home. Uh, I like to think too that as we see here the, the animals being burnt, uh, producing smoke and aroma, uh, I think it's biblical to smoke meat. <laughs> so, um, there you have it. The uh, just tells you it's biblical. Um, now, it, it could be that as this animal, as this grain is burnt, um, that it's being transformed into smoke, into carbon. Um, I don't know whether there's an allusion to kind of ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's kind of returning to its owner as it ascends in the air. Um, but we see that as these um, animals and these grain offerings are burnt on the fire, it produces a pleasing aroma to God. Um, you might not find it pleasing, but God does. Uh, maybe it's like brewed coffee in the morning. It's a pleasing aroma to you. Bacon sizzling. A pleasing aroma. Uh, the burning is to produce smoke and it pleases God. Uh, and the final step is communion. So, that's peace, in case you didn't, didn't know. Uh, peace with God and 
and you have food uh, together. So this is, this is kind of, step six here is the goal of the whole sacrificial system. Once atonement has been made, once the worshipper is at peace with God, they experience blessing by living with him. And that's symbolised by having a meal together. So, as I said earlier, this is the, the, the peace offering, the fellowship offering, is the last one that is done. And the worshipper is able to come away with the food and bring it home to their family and friends and have a meal together, enjoying peace with God. Um, and because it's been made holy through the sacrifice, it's, it's, uh, it's symbolising being in the presence of God. And so this shared meal that happens at the end of the sacrifices symbolises friendship, friendship with God, friendship with each other. All right, how are we going? You're doing well, getting there. Uh, now, just imagine for a moment, though, that you were living in those times. Can you just imagine that the constant, relentless stream of animals going in and blood flowing out, of the ashes being taken outside the camp, of uh, the offal and, and being taken out? Um, can you imagine the, the smell of blood being mixed with smoke? Can you imagine the sounds of the bleating sheep going from dawn to dusk every day? Can you imagine waiting for Dad to come home with the sacrifice to eat together? It's a very different world to ours, isn't it? This sacrificial system consumed the whole social life of Israel, and it taught them the necessity of dealing with sin. Can't avoid it. You must deal with it in order to live with God. But at the same time, it also taught something amazing that God had provided a way for dealing with sin. It taught that sin is really bad and it needs to be dealt with, but God has provided a way. And the problem, of course, as we've seen, is that it just had to be kept being done all of the time. It would have been very expensive. Um, it's not really very good business practice, is it, to be killing off the best of your animals? Um, Andrew, are you going to be doing that with... No? Why not? <laughs> You'd rather sell them. Yeah, there we go. Um, you don't go and sacrifice them. Uh, this whole procedure was very bloody. It was very time-consuming. Uh, but it's very clear that sin is a huge problem and needs to be dealt with regularly. But can you imagine being a part of that culture, that this is kind of your, your life, this is your daily experience, and then one day, one day to hear about this guy called Jesus, who is the perfect sacrifice. Can you imagine the relief that would come from knowing that this one sacrifice of Jesus would take away your sins forever so that you never have to go and cut another throat of an animal in your life again? You don't have to do that to live with God, to have eternal peace. That this one sacrifice assures you of God's blessings from this point forward right into eternity. Wouldn't that blow your mind? Now, here's what we read in Hebrews chapter 10. You might want to turn there if you've got your Bibles. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews uh, in the second half of the year. And 
doing Leviticus now is going to help us immensely as we get to Hebrews. Uh, here's what we read in Hebrews chapter 10, um, verse 4. Hebrews 10, 4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Oh man, that's just a big waste of time. We didn't really need to do it. If you keep reading, there's a lot of good stuff, but I'm going to jump down to verse 10. It says, By this will, by this will we have been sanctified, we've been made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, this man Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Wouldn't that be great news, hearing about Jesus? Now we see in those verses all of the sacrifices here in Leviticus didn't actually bring about forgiveness of sin. They were a shadow of the reality in Jesus. And as the worshippers followed God's detailed instructions in Leviticus, well, they trusted that God would bring them forgiveness through their obedience. They thought it happened through the animals, but in reality they were saved by the sacrifice of Jesus that is once forever. Because Jesus being the perfect sinless sacrifice, because he substitutes himself in for us so that we don't have to die, by Jesus giving up his whole life and shedding his blood, well, Jesus turns aside God's wrath. He washes us clean. He brings atonement. And he achieves the goal of God's plans throughout history where people can once again live with God, be at peace with our loving Father. Did you know Jesus, in his offering on the cross, as he died there, as that sacrifice, as his, uh, as his blood, as his life was given, here's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. He says, Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. It was a pleasing aroma to God for his son to die on the cross. And so Jesus' perfect sacrifice means we no longer need to kill any more animals to be at peace with God. And isn't that great? You don't need to bring your favourite pet along to church and kill it. This Jesus has done it all. And how good is Jesus, yeah? And in doing so, and Jesus doing that, as we put our trust in him, well, he takes our spiritual death on himself. He takes our curse from sin. He takes our guilt. He takes our shame. He takes our pollution. And he shares with us his indestructible, resurrected life. He washes us clean from everything that stains us. Isn't that wonderful? 
and he gives us his very self. He gives us all the bounty and blessing of life with God. And what grace is that? What love and kindness. Yet we're not completely off the hook. Yes, Jesus has done it all in order to bring us to God, to bring us um, to, to live with God, to be at peace with him. But we are called to be a different type of sacrifice. We're called to give up our whole lives in obedience to him. And so Romans chapter 12 uh, begins like this. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do you see all that Leviticus language in there? Presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Our whole self is to be a living sacrifice. Everything about us, our heart, our mind, our whole physical bodies is to serve God continually out of heartfelt thankfulness to the new life that is given us in Jesus. We give ourselves fully to the Lord, all that we are, all that we have. And this is a fragrant offering to God. I want to show you one more place in Hebrews chapter 13. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says this. Therefore, through Jesus, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is, the fruit of lips that confess his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. Well, friends, we don't have to offer sacrifices anymore, but we are called to still sacrifice, to give ourselves fully to the Lord. And so let us continually praise our Heavenly Father with our lips, speaking well of Him, confessing His name in, in public to our friends and family. Let us do good to others. How are we going to go about doing good to others? How are we going to be kind and, and loving to other people as part of our sacrifice to God? And what about to share? How are we going to share whatever we have with the poor, with our families who might be in need, with our Christian family, uh, with, the, with the church as, as the church looks to um, go on mission, to be on mission? How are we going to share? How are we going to be good? How are we going to praise our Father? Well, as we live our lives in full obedience to God, let us be thankful for his grace to us in Jesus and let us become like a fragrant offering of coffee or bacon to our loving Father. I'm going to pray and then uh, I'll have my for some questions. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, tonight we want to thank you for Jesus, our perfect sacrifice. Thank you that you have provided the only way that we could ever be right with you in him. Father, help us to live our entire lives in thankfulness and in service of you. May our lives be full of self-sacrificial love, of doing good, of being generous, fragrant offerings to you. Give us the strength, Father, to do this until the day we live with you forever in paradise. Amen.
as you gather some thoughts for question time, uh, I want to draw your attention to the communication card inside your, what do you call it, Mark, your subject outline. Um, there's a QR code on there. It'd be great if you could uh, fill in your details there. Let us know if there are ways we can be praying for you or caring for you. Uh, if you have questions you don't want to ask um, uh, here, uh, to me now, uh, you can fill that in. I'll get back to you through the week. Um, and uh, yeah, any other comments or things there, please do let us know. Now, while you're filling that out, perhaps uh, some of you might have some questions that you'd like to, to ask and fire away. Yeah, Lily. Yeah, there were, there were annual, um, there's a whole bunch of things, um, and we'll get to some of those later in Leviticus. There's a bunch of festivals that they go up for um, to Jerusalem that they're called to do that. Um, uh, some of the Israelites in uh, the Old Testament uh, did naughty things and didn't say, oh, no, it's too far to go to Jerusalem. We're just going to go and offer to God in these other places, and that was a very bad thing because God wasn't there. Um, but yeah, there, there is um, some big annual festivals that they go to, um, but there are also lots of daily ones. And so as the nation grew, it became harder for them to, to offer these sacrifices. And so sometimes it might have been uh, you know, quite a bit of travelling that, that they would have to do to offer their sacrifices. But they were still required um, to do it. How else would they do it? How often? Oh, it depends. So, uh, so the first three kind of voluntary ones, um, but if they, the other ones were more the mandatory ones, that if they got busted doing wrong stuff, well then they had to go and offer it. But the thing is, throughout Israel's history, they didn't actually do this as they should. Um, yeah. So a lot of it is just up to the person to decide when they're going to do it, except for if they get busted for some sin. They go and do that. Um, we'll get into it in a few weeks' time where uh, people have all sorts of discharges. Um, there are offerings that are prescribed for that. Um, and I think what it basically was saying was that uh, in order to be God's people, you needed to live in proximity to God so that you could make these sacrifices easily. And so as they scattered, it really did become a lot harder. But that's where they meet Jesus. Yeah. Thanks, Lily. Yeah, Liz? Um, kind of a two-part question. Uh, when a woman sins, what did she do? Because Deb was talking about men um, going there. Yeah, uh, uh, look, just give me one at a time. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting old. <laughs> I get full. Um, yeah, uh, so what about the women? Well, the, the sacrifices of the men, I think, would cover, would cover those. Um, for the household, uh, but there are times um, uh, later on in Leviticus where I think we're going to have to um, offer sacrifices as well. And so, uh, um, yeah. So I think we'll we'll see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Second part. Yeah. And also, like children as well. When did like a son start doing it himself? Ah, uh, yeah. I can't answer that. Um, I'll, I'll have to look at it, but 
I think the, the sons would normally come of age around 13, but I think they'd still be under the father's household. Um, and so I think they think about it more communally. And so uh, the, when they're living under the same house as their family. So maybe when, when he gets married and might move to a different house, then perhaps um, uh, he might go and do it then. But I'll have to go on to some more reading. Yeah, um, you mentioned then, Sue, in Lily's question that the Israelites kind of walked away from this whole system um, mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, so how can we be sure that what's written in Leviticus is, like, is definitely the original rules on how to do it? Mm. Um, yeah, so how do we know that what's written in Leviticus is original if people just didn't do it? Well, uh, Someone might be able to remind me um, where it is, but there was the book of the law that was written down. And so it was written down for them to follow. Was it Josiah as he was digging around? King Josiah as he was digging around in the temple? Um, you know, oh, what's this? And dusts off some scrolls and, oh, it's the book of the law. And, oh, it says we should be reading this every, like the king should be reading this out aloud every year. And so they do have a written record. Um, but, uh, yeah, like me, they are forgetful. Um, and uh, we're going through the book of Judges at the moment uh, as well in our, in our growth groups through the week. And I don't think there's much mention at all of sacrificial system happening there. So I think even back there, they were kind of not doing what they should do. Good question, and I don't have an answer for you. Um, so I will go and do some more reading, and we'll get back to you. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yep. Yep. I had a question mark on that too. <laughs> I just didn't have enough time in the week. <laughs> yeah. One more question, friends. You're going. Um, all right, well, um, I think I'm going to hand back over to our musicians now, is that correct? Yeah. And uh, we will respond to the good law of the Lord.